0: Welcome to the Sheer Law Group's podcast of Truth Serum. Law, real estate, and everything else that matters. Sheer Law Group represents lenders, landlords, and investors throughout the state of California with offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County, California. Laws change daily. Economic trends change faster than at any time in history. Ignorance is not bliss. And the unwary and unprepared get punished if they fail to keep up. If you want insightful information on issues of interest to the real estate lender, landlord, or investor, you've come to the right place. Add on some colorful commentary on everything else that matters, and you're now ready for Truth Serum with your host, Spencer Shear. Stay
1: tuned for Spencer's interview of engineer and futurist Thomas Frey as they explore the future of AI. What skills will humans need to increase their value over the next, say,
2: 10 years? Let me give you a scenario here. Two or three years from now, maybe a little bit longer, a woman that finds herself pregnant, one of her first stops will be at her geneticist. And she'll go to the geneticist. And this is the designer baby scenario where they will have a checklist of maybe 2,000 different attributes that you can incorporate into that child.
1: Welcome to the conclusion of Shear Law Group's three-part series, The Future of Money and the End of Your Privacy Rights. We've examined how big tech, in allegiance with governments all over the world, are using AI algorithms to mine your personal data and to create your digital twin. They're using your data to predict your buying habits and to rate your political and social interests and behaviors, and in some instances to reward or punish or censor you as a result. The emergent use of digital currency will give big tech and governments the transformative surveillance mechanism that if it's left unchecked will rob us of all our rights to privacy. China's already started this process and the Western nations are not far behind. In part one of the series, I detailed some new and emerging laws and regulations that will impact your privacy rights. I focused on current abuse of your rights of privacy by Google and China and what's coming if we don't take action to stop it now. I gave a first-hand account of just how much of your information is being stolen by Google from a whistleblower named Zach Voorhees in his recently published book, Google Leaks. In Episode 2, I interviewed Pippa Malgram, a noted economist, author, and presidential advisor. Dr. M set forth a roadmap to worldwide implementation of digital currency and how it will be used as a surveillance tool to change our lives. Not a pessimist at all, she highlights a fascinating future where both Star Trek and Big Brother are both possibilities. One of the clearest and compelling interviews you'll hear all year. If you're interested in transformative technologies and your future, don't miss this interview. In this conclusion to our series, we'll examine the role and the increasing role that AI will take in our future at work, home, and in society. We'll examine whether it will liberate us or dominate us and look at some of the upcoming uses of AI that are on the horizon. They present both exciting opportunities and serious ethical challenges that must be considered and they have to be resolved. Join me as I interview engineer and futurist Thomas Frey. All right, so Thomas, I'm going to introduce you. You spent 15 years at IBM as an engineer. You've studied numerous businesses and assisted numerous business startups. You're the founder of the Da Vinci Institute, which is a world-renowned consulting and networking firm and Think Tank. You speak regularly throughout the world, helping businesses develop accurate visions of the future and to discuss futurist trends. Most frightening to me is that you're a past member of the Triple Nine Society, a high IQ society over the 99 percentile. So please bear with me if I'm a little slow to catch up. Welcome,
2: Thomas Frey. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You're welcome.
1: In October of 2020, you published a white paper that was entitled, Will AIs Replace Humans? I was looking at that. Uh, You quoted Elon Musk, uh, who warned that AI could become the immortal dictator from which we'll never escape. You concluded that there's an uncrossable barrier between humans and AI, that AI can only become an unwelcome dictator uh, if we fail to put fail-safes in to prevent that. So my question to you is, could AI ever have the ability to act independently against the interests of humans without human assistance
2: well i think there'll be cases where that happens but i don't think that uh, i don't think it's a likely scenario that ai will suddenly dominate humans it fails to answer the why question Uh, Why would it do that? What's the motivations behind that? I think there's probably some scenarios that people will argue the other side of the equation, but I have a hard time getting my mind wrapped around the why part of that question.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And again, if you want to take it to just a little Star Trekian level here, which you made me think of when you said that uh, the why scenario, I I get it. If if, uh, AI is completely neutral and has no independent ability to think or calculate or whatever, I agree. If you look at humans, the why is always original sin, right? The people always use technology or their own whatever's to uh to come up with both good and evil? Is it possible AI could ever conceptually have original AI sin for lack of a better word?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's always possible to build in bias into in, into this thinking, but I think the most devious form of AI is going to be with with people driving it it's It's human powered AI i mean when when you use AI to superpower a human, then not only can they issue ransomware or threats or blackmail they can they can do a million times as much in in a short period of time so devious humans that are supercharged with AI that i think is where the real danger lies. Good. Thank you for saying that. Uh, you reviewed, uh, again, on your, uh, one of your white papers, you reviewed a
1: debate between Milton Friedman and uh, Michael Moore over the value of a human life, and I, I found that to be very interesting. And in trying to determine the value of a human life, uh, i try trying to put a financial uh, uh, number on it. The debate referenced deaths that occurred because of a faulty Ford Pinto gas tank and wh- whether it would have been worth it for Ford Motor Company to spend an extra $13 to build a better gas tank that would save a human life. And then back then the value of the human life put into dollars might be as much as two hundred thousand based on nineteen seventies metrics. And the future humans might be worth as much as two billion dollars using what I think you put in your white paper, seven updated global metrics. So my question is one one of the factors you said, you cited to give an increased value to human financial worth might be the measure of improving the base of our skills. So what skills will a human need to increase humans need to increase their value over the next, say 10 years.
2: Uh, let, me, let me give you a scenario here. Uh, two or three years from now, maybe a little bit longer, but a woman that finds herself pregnant, one of her st- first stops will be at her, her geneticist. And she'll go to the geneticist. And this is kind of the, the designer baby uh, scenario where they will have a checklist of, of maybe... Two thousand different attributes that you can incorporate into that child, everything from bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, everything you can think of, but then lots of other minor characteristics as well. Now, now that child that gets born, that will likely become a super baby, and that super baby then will grow up to be a superhuman. And I always like to ask this question of what's going to be the lifetime value of a superhuman is it possible that the lifetime value of a superhuman is going to be 100x 100 times the value of um, of a person today and if that's the case then uh, then t- tacking onto that scenario very likely countries are going to want to have the most superhumans as their citizens and, and so then they're going to put together these plans to, to have as many of these superhumans as possible and to incentivize women to have as many kids as possible. When they find out they're pregnant, maybe they'll put them up in a five-star resort somewhere. So that, uh, that that's, a, that's a pretty big incentive to get pregnant and have a child if you can raise a superhuman. So that, I think, is a realistic future, actually. I think that we're, we're on the verge of, of actually creating bigger, stronger, faster humans that are much smarter, more, more capable than ever before in history. And that's just right around the corner. And, and we're, as, as we're unlocking the capabilities of CRISPR technology, which is just a piece of the equation, we're going to find unbelievable uh, things that we never imagined possible in the past.
1: That's fascinating to me. And again, I use my little euphemism here. The devil is in the ethics. Let's let's just talk about that for a second because it brings up so many different questions. But, you know, your scenario, the most benign scenario, we go out into a technological advance where uh, the cooperation and the, the relative worth of everybody goes up because we're all in it together and we do it benignly. The malevolent side of that is, is Nazi Germany, right, where they, they, people use the genetics to make their own version of who they want, and they destroy those that they don't want. Comment on that. What, what, how's, how's the balance? Where do we find our, our soul in that argument?
2: Yeah, the ethics are going to be a, a constant issue that plagues us from here on out. Should we revive extinct species? Should we um should we have AI-powered education systems in our future? The the driverless vehicles, all, all of these things have an ethical component to them that we're gonna to have to wrestle to the ground. So none of these are gonna be easy answers either. I I love I, th- I think we have a very positive future. I think there's, we have the ability to solve so many of the big problems in the world right now. But I, th- I think we're too myopic in our thinking. I think we're we're too focused on TV news, which just drags us all down. Uh, We're looking at all the things that are the problems today, and that becomes kind of a -a whack-a-mole problem as we try to fix each of the problems that's in the world today. However, if we spend more time trying to advance civilization, that gives us an entirely new problem set. And so very likely, we can pull lots of people out of poverty, we can have food resources for everybody on the planet. And um, we don't have to have those that are left behind. I think those are some realistic scenarios that we're, we're moving in the right, right direction. We're just not there yet.
1: I love the positivity. Uh, again, I'm not a pessimist. But I, again, I, I agree with you, listen to the news, and you could certainly become one. But again, just to to vet this out just a bit more, I love the positivity, but how do you transcend the ethical issues or how do you transcend human nature, where for years and years it's a litany of of one larger war after another? How is anybody ever going to take the these godlike gifts and make them into something good for all of us unless there is, doesn't there have to be a spiritual regeneration component as well
2: right you're you're probably right on that the um The nature of war is actually changing if you if you ask this question of why, why would I want to kill this person on the other side that I'm fighting against if I can suddenly somehow turn that person against their own country. And that that becomes a real realistic scenario as we have new technology for actually doing that. We've changed the mindset of that person, some sort of a mind zapper gun that just suddenly alienates that, that soldier and they s- suddenly want to fight against their own people. That, uh those type of things, I think, are, are coming, and they're, they're going to present all kinds of ethical issues that we, we simply don't have the answers for yet. And so how do we prepare ourselves for the future? We we kind of muddle our way through it. I mean, we, we have to wrestle with each of these, these issues one at a time and do our best at uh, resolving the, the conflict along the way. Very good.
1: All right, let me decelerate, come back a little closer to Earth now. Is the move towards the decentralized workplace as opposed to in-office work uh, the future, or is there going to be a blend?
2: Yeah, I really think there's going to be a blend here because the... People don't want to go back to the office. I mean, they 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 like working at home, uh, and yet they they're missing their friends. They want to be around their friends at the same time. So we're gonna we're gonna see lots of hybrid situations here where people come to the office two days a week or three days a week or something like that, and so they need to get their uh, kind of their emotional networking fix. Uh, by going into the office, but then they really get their work done. But when they stay home, the, the number that I heard is that the average person, when they eliminate the commute gets an extra 28 days in their life, put back into their life. That's, that's a huge amount of time that, that we really just waste driving back and forth to the office. I'm, I'm okay with spending a little of that, but I don't, I don't want to, uh, spend 28 days driving back and forth. So, <laughs> so I, I think lots of people are cheering on the sidelines saying, hey, I just uh uh regained control over my life. I don't want to give that back, give that up again. Yeah, the transition can be brutal. Like it's harder and harder to find people, a lot of people want to stay home. Well, well, right. And I I think um I've actually heard of some cases where they're they're employing many more prisoners. People that just got out of prison, and now we're starting to employ a lot more foreign people again uh, because it's relatively easy. So, so all of these issues uh, are constantly shifting and changing. So, as as people in other countries, as it becomes easier to communicate across cultural barriers, that uh, that opens the door for lots of other possibilities. Right,
1: let me uh, piggyback out on this question. Because it seems to me, uh, certainly in the, I'm on a law firm, and uh, again, law firms seem to be trending, the larger ones are, towards collaborative associations of groups and people with specific skill sets for particular tasks, as opposed to hiring permanent employees that, uh, you know, they're there all the time on, on whatever tasks are, are sent to the law firm or the company. You see that as a, another Likelihood, or or still, is it going to be like the professional that has the information—the doctor, the lawyer—they're going to be able to keep it to themselves and regenerate with others?
2: Yeah, we're 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 going to start to see that shift and change. I think we move into a world of many more freelancers. I think uh, contract work and and project based labor. So as uh, one one of the big things that we're missing right now is, is we don't have any good schools for teaching people how to be a freelancer. If you're, if you're going to be a good freelancer, you need to know how to, how to sell yourself. You need to know how to price your services. You need to know how to do networking. You need to set up your own books. You need to form your own corporation. There, there's so many uh, skills that are uh, embedded in, in that taking on that business of you. That business of you is is a very powerful concept, um, but we're not taught to think in those terms.
1: Can you can you teach that, or is that a life experience side uh, teacher?
2: There, there's a lot of a lot of aspects of this that you can teach, but uh, colleges typically don't want to teach that because once people will learn these skills. Then they'll drop out of college. You just start their own business. And so that works against them. So we, we have seen a, a number of like uh, freelance schools that have cropped up online, but it's a little bit different. But that's not something that's naturally taught to, to people. And they don't think that way when they're growing up. But if every person was taught to think of themselves as their own business unit, that would radically change uh, the way we educate them, the way we kind of the the friends surrounding them, uh, their networks, every everything in their life suddenly shifts in a little bit different direction.
1: And again, not being pejorative to any of the following, I'm going to say there are groups where you've got to have uh, groupthink and obedience, command and control, like uh, for the army, uh, any any sort of institution that requires uh, obedience, mobility, and Whatever. So are some people going to make the decision that uh, I am not a free thinker? You're just saying that there needs to be more variety for the free thinkers.
2: Uh, Yeah. So whenever whenever I talk about a shift, it's relatively more of this and relatively less of that. It's not uh, everybody suddenly becomes a freelancer. That's that's not realistic at all. But uh, I, I do think a higher percentage of our society is going to shift in that direction, and I also think uh, uh, businesses are going to be set up around that. Rather than hiring a full time business, I don't need a full time person. I I need somebody for two months or two weeks or two days or two hours. That's that's what I need. And and businesses are going to be much more inclined to 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 reach out and find that person that for that particular solution.
1: Right, I appreciate that real world for me. I mean, if I've got a higher attempt, I'm somewhat reluctant because both the uptime for training and the reliability factor oftentimes isn't there. But if you're saying that people really are mechanized, organized and ready to go and you can count on it, love to just plug it in. I'd love that.
2: Yeah. If you think of the way Hollywood has done business for years, whenever a movie project comes into play, they bring in the the actors the directors the the writers the the makeup people the lighting guys and they all come together for this project as soon as it's over they all disperse and they form around other projects
1: you reminded me very much of our government,
2: <laughs> but they—they all—all they, uh, all of these people that are working these professions are very skilled at what they do, and they have a network of friends that, uh, when a project comes up, people think of them and say, "Hey, let's pull this person in for this project." So, so it's a, a different way of thinking about things, a different way of doing business. But very likely, we're going to be moving more in that direction in the future. I think so. Well
1: said. All right, trends. What trends do you see developing now that will most impact businesses, say, over the next
2: five years? I think the cryptocurrency trend is going to be a big one that affects businesses. Should we accept cryptocurrencies and how how much should we integrate that into our business model? But sometime in the not-too-distant future, that idea of an NFT, that non-fungible token, our identities will be based on non-fungible tokens. That We will have our driver's license as an NFT. Our passport will be an NFT. The title to our house will be an NFT. So will our title to our car. All of these things are going to start shifting uh, very quickly. And the vocabulary that we're using surrounding these things is, is foreign to so many people. And so we, we have a, a steep learning curve to work our way up moving into that that type of environment. All right, and a follow-up
1: question on that would be, what's one trend that you see that would be the most disruptive or have the most disruptive impact on society, say, over the la- next five years?
2: Yeah, I think the most disruptive technology in all history will be autonomous transportation. I think that that's, that's going to changed virtually every aspect of our lives. We can't even imagine that right now, where we no longer have to own our own vehicle. Suddenly we can just summon a vehicle when we need it. We can go where we want and get out. That that radically changes everything from how we design our buildings to how we design our homes to our um, because we were building everything around this transportation model that forced us to own our own own vehicle, that that does away with car loans, it does away with uh, insurance for cars, it, uh, it takes broad swipes at lots of different industries. All of these things disappear, but that's going to be longer than than five years. Over over the next five years, one one of the technologies that I'm Thinking will radically change things. Is um, uh, as we the new uh, education system and AI based education system that we haven't seen yet. My my thinking is that as soon as somebody creates this, it's going to scale extremely fast, and it could actually be within five years that we're going to have an education system that just suddenly shifts the entire education industry for the world. And, and suddenly, we become much smarter, much faster. And I'm, I'm actually working with some companies that are working to try to solve that problem. And I know that there's tons of them around the world that are, are working. This, this, in my mind, is the, the, the biggest challenge on the internet that nobody's quite cracked the code for yet. It's a, a huge, absolutely massive, huge opportunity.
1: Fascinating. To flesh this out from my wife, a retired teacher, used to sit in front of 25 kids. So if this technology that you're describing that's in, in nascent technology, what happens to the teachers? Are they just catalysts to, to uh, uh, interface
2: AI with students? Or how does that work? The teachers tend to transition more into coaching and guides for the, the systems. We're still going to have school buildings, uh, and there's going to be lots of team-building activities and, and group group activities, and there's lots of social stuff that needs to take place there. But we're, we're actually going to take the limits off of what people can learn, and we're going to make it so that people can be studying and learning and getting credit for it from a very young age up to the time that they die, and we're not going to end our academic achievement as at a PhD. It'll, uh, we'll probably have two or 300 layers above that achievement levels that, that we, we don't even know how to describe those just yet. So, so somebody who is learning their entire life, and, and keep in mind, uh, this type of system will allow people to learn much faster than ever before in history. Uh, I, I find this to be such a fascinating topic area.
1: I, I do too, and a couple more things I'd like to add on to that. That's that's uh, it's very fascinating. Is uh, so first, you know, many people uh are advocate school choice, saying it has disparate impacts on various groups. And it's you know, if everybody had the same access to education, this seems to be very egalitarian. That uh, if you had AI, it basically, as long as the facilitators are relatively equal and competent, you could have schools anywhere, any place. It, it would level the playing field, wouldn't it?
2: Well, it absolutely would. In fact, that's one of the things that I think is essential to incorporate is that it's open to everybody Mm. from from the people on the far reaches of the world. I think it has to be language agnostic and location agnostic and culture agnostic. And it has to be hyper individualized. I think you have to learn the things that you're interested in. Uh, All of our education system right now is based on just-in-case learning. You need to know all of this just in case you might need to use it sometime in the future. But most of the business world today works on a far different mindset of just-in-time thinking. This is what we have going on right now. You need to learn this today because we're going to use it tomorrow. That's, that's a radically different approach.
1: Good. Let me end on a hopeful note. I think it's, also, it's possible that it might end uh, the impact of uh, the teachers' unions. That's another story. All right, let me, you've been patient and you've been fun to talk to. I appreciate that. Tell people, tell our listeners how about how they can get more information about you and the Da Vinci Institute.
2: You can find more information at futuristspeaker.com. And that's where I have my blog. Also on davinciinstitute.com. Or if any of you want to listen to the podcast, we have the futurati-podcast.com And we have a, a new episode every week. So check those out. We'd love to have you looped into what we're doing. Great.
1: Thomas, I thank you again. It's been uh, a pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation, and I hope uh, you do well.
2: All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
1: I hope you've enjoyed our three-part series on the future of money and the end of your privacy rights. Using Buckminster Fuller's Knowledge Doubling Curb, Knowledge Now Doubles Every 12 Hours. This should both delight and frighten us at the same time. Just like a bright sunrise or increasing clouds can show us the weather to come, transformative tech such as digital currency, blockchain, distributive ledger, riding on the backs of new and more powerful AI computers, show us the new world that's coming. Tech isn't good or evil, it's the people that use it that are. And whether we operate by the highest ethics and values to use these transformative technologies, to reach our highest aspirations or whether we succumb to our worst instincts to dominate and control, much of it's going to depend on what we do now. Most of us in the developed world are a product of these technologies. We race through life with godlike powers, using tech to fill up every minute with online activities, much that are of questionable value. We're often left tired and empty and searching and wanting more but never satisfied. Your greatest Instagram moment can turn into a Twitter troll war that brings you down the next day. However, God gave us a brain and a will. In this country, we have a constitution that not only allows freedom, but requires that every citizen act to protect our rights and freedoms. We do this by demanding integrity and accountability from those who govern us or guard the gateways of transformative tech. Now's the time for us to act. There's three things that we can do now. First, you can discuss this with others. Demand that big tech cease the use and sale of your private information without your consent. Tell your elected representatives to remove exemptions allowed to Google and other big tech under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act so that they're accountable and responsible for what they do with your information. If we have to pay a small fee like we do for our cell phone to ensure this, it's a small price to pay. Second, demand that our government protect and safeguard our rights to privacy, not only from big tech, but from government overreach that allows the use of the tech to spy on us without cause or a court order. Elect officials who will safeguard our rights. And finally, take a walk, read a book, discuss these ideas with good friends who you trust and pray for wisdom that you might develop conviction and courage to preserve the freedoms that we have now. If you're not willing to do this, and even more to preserve our rights and freedom, then my last suggestion is start learning how to speak Chinese now. It'll serve you well in the brave new world.
0: Thank you for listening to Sheer Law Group's podcast, Truth Serum, law, real estate, and everything else that matters. For more on the law, go to www.sheerlawgroup.com or contact Spencer or Joshua Shear. For more info on real estate, see your real estate broker or agent. Don't forget to mow your lawn, trim your hedges, and pay your mortgage. For more information on everything else that matters, read good books, cultivate good friends that you can share ideas with, pray often, and do not place your hopes in governmental institutions. Write Spencer Shear if you want to argue the points made in this podcast. Finally, this podcast cannot be relied on as legal advice and SLG disclaims any responsibility for the ideas presented. See an attorney if you have issues or problems related to the subjects mentioned in this podcast. Adios, amigos.